You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Pennsylvania Woodsman, powered by Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network. This show is driven to provide relatable hunting and outdoor content in the Keystone State and surrounding Northeast. On this show, you'll hear an array of perspectives from biologists and industry professionals to average Joes with a lifetime of knowledge. All centered around values aiming to be better outdoorsmen and women both in the field as well as home and daily life. No clicks, no self-interest, just delight in the pursuit of creation. And now, your host, the pride of Pennsylvania, the man who shoots straight and won't steer you wrong, Johnny Appleseed himself, Mitchell Shirk. Mitchell Shirk. Mitchell Shirk. Mitchell Shirk. All right, back at it again. Thanks for tuning in to another episode, guys. I hope you guys are enjoying the process, enjoying the time out in the field. If you're getting it, I hope you're getting it out in the field. I'm trying to make do with what I can here. Uh, it's uh, it's an exciting yet somehow stressful time if you make it that way. Um, self-inflicted for sure. Most of the time I'm overthinking this and thinking I got to get it done. I got to kill a deer. I got to shoot the buck. I got to shoot the buck that I want to kill. I'm after these deer, yada, yada, yada. And guess what? At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. Uh, I'm slowly learning that here. It's going to take some bricks on my head, I think, but I'm slowly learning that the process and the pursuit is way more fun than the actual kill. And I have noticed that, you know, as I'm recording this, I still haven't, uh, haven't filled my buck tag. Hopefully by the time this episode releases, I will. But, you know, I've, I thought this the other, the other week when I passed a buck up, it was a buck that got me excited. But as it came closer, I realized it was not a deer I wanted to shoot. And, uh, it, you know, it occurred to me like, this is fun. I don't want to be done just yet. So, you know, whatever happens this season, I've had a great season. I've been I've been blessed. I've been thankful for the time in the woods with the people that I got to spend with. I'm hoping for more opportunities with some other hunting friends. And uh, I've been blessed to tag some great animals. And I, I hope that you guys have that same mentality that anything that happens at this point is a bonus. And, uh, you know, keep positive. It's it's easy to get frustrated. The rut is very boomer bust as, as I've I've said before, and I'll say again, I mean, you can be in the heat of it one day and, uh, you know, cold as ice the next, but just enjoy it. It comes once a year, guys, this time of year, this end of October, beginning of November, uh, chasing, seeking phase of uh, whitetail hunting that so many of us love and crave. You're living it. You know, this is a time you took vacation for, you allotted time and planned for, and uh, enjoy it, regardless of what happens. You know, there, there's so many other worse things you could be doing than chasing whitetails. So enjoy it while it lasts. 
And uh, speaking of enjoying the process and just going with the flow and adventure, this week's guest is somebody who does just that on a regular basis. And uh, we, we, uh, he shares some of those trips and plans and crazy things that's been happening. I'm talking about Dan Collins from Hardway Outdoors. And Dan, as we, uh, as we record this, it was leading into the beginning of the season. And we kind of catch up with some of the trips that he's been doing. He just came back from guiding fishing in Alaska, which sounded like a blast. And we, we touch base on that. And then we get into hunting season. We talk about what he had planned for opening weekend in the first few days of the bow season. But Dan has a couple trips planned out this year. The first trip he had planned was a mule deer hunt out west. And if, uh, if you haven't taken notice, they had a very successful mule deer hunting trip. You should check out his YouTube channel. He's got the videos posted. And he also was planning on, uh, he drew a Kansas whitetail tag that he was planning on go out, going out to Kansas this year and hunting for. So he's got some windows which he can hunt Pennsylvania. And those windows that we're talking about on this episode fit really well with this time of year and what he's looking for, how he's going about it. But he's ultimately looking for a couple things, relying on the cameras he had out in the summer, the knowledge of the past, and he's rolling with it. And we're going to talk about what specifically in terrain features and, uh, you know, the the timing of things that he likes for some of these places. And we're going to get into the nitty gritty of that. But what I love about this episode is it's very much, let's enjoy the process. Let's enjoy the hunt. And, uh, you know, of course, go with our best foot forward with all the knowledge we have, but realize that it's hunting, not killing. So great episode with Dan. I hope you guys enjoy it. Make sure you check out his YouTube channel. Great, great channel. Uh, He does a good job. He's done it for a long time. So uh, really good content coming from Dan. And uh, let's get to this episode. Right before we do, quick shout out to our sponsors, Radix Hunting. Guys, in my opinion, some of the better trail cameras that I have out now, I actually, a few years ago, I'm not going to name the company, but a few years ago when I shot that uh, really good buck, I won uh, a, a trail camera. I, run, I won a, uh, a cell camera, and I've now used it for a few years, and I've always noticed that it struggled, right? I, I noticed I was missing things I didn't think I should have been. And just the, the other night, I had a buck. I watched him come in and work a mock scrape and never got his picture sent to my phone. And that was frustrating. I can tell you I have had nothing but positive things to say from my Radix cameras. The image quality, the, <clears throat> the, the response time from the cell cameras, uh, the ease of setup, the customer service, everything about the Radix setup, I have been thrilled with from the camera perspective. Make sure you check out the stick and pick camera accessories, being able to hang your camera on any tree, any post, anywhere, anytime with their uh, very, very easy to manipulate bracket system. And check out their tree stands and all the other hunting accessories available, uh, made available at radixhunting.com. And hey, let's get to this episode with Dan Collins. So joining me today on this week's show on the phone with me is Dan Collins from Hardway Outdoors. Dan, what's going on? Not much, Mitchell. Just uh, got done scouting here and sitting out and 
trying to get better service and to do the podcast, but it's a little chilly this evening, full moon, and leaves are changing colors, you know. It's beautiful here this time of year. Yeah, it's making you and feel like it's it's that time. It's that time. Yeah, you're playing catch up on the scouting game because you were uh, you were away for quite a while, weren't you? Yep, uh, did two months in Alaska, uh, guiding fishing trips up there. Uh, but I was fortunate to I I got some uh, trail a lot of trail cameras hung before I left. So now I actually have some some intel to go off of. And then now this whole like week and two weeks before the season, I've just been growing on that and adding more cameras and doing more scouting off of the summer intel my cameras got while I was away. Fantastic. I want to hear a little bit more about Alaska. So you were gone for like two months, you said, and you were guiding fishing trips. How did that even come about? It, so back in 2018, I uh, I met this guy named Pete Horger. And uh, there's probably, whoever's listening to this, I'm sure there's somebody out there, maybe 30 people that know Pete. I mean, it's he's just a social butterfly, we call him. Everybody knows Pete, but... I met him in college in 2018 for like two days. I held a, a fly fishing competition uh, for a bunch of colleges in Pennsylvania, and he came to it and uh, kept in touch with him. And then, I don't know, flash forward, I started my own guiding business here in Pennsylvania, and he reached out that they needed some guides up in Alaska at this lodge, and, and that's how it pretty much came to be. I went up this year for the first year up there, so. Tell me about that experience guiding people in Alaska. I mean, first of all, you had to see things that you couldn't have ever imagined you would see in your in your wildest dreams when you compare it to central Pennsylvania. But, I mean, tell me about the day-to-day up there when you were doing that. Yeah, so the once we, once we started getting uh, guests coming into the lodge, it'd be like groups of maybe about 12 to 15 people. Um, pick them up at the airport, and then we take uh, the boats up to the lodge, about eight eight miles upriver on the, the Unalakleet River, and uh, get them all settled in. That'd be a Sunday, and then and then uh, Monday is is starting to the guide fishing trips, you know, and um, mostly fo- this was mostly through late July and August, uh, focusing on silver salmon the cohos that's like the big draw for that lodge in mm-hmm. that river uh that they average about eight nine pounds sometimes you sneak in a little, uh, an 11 um but great great fighting fish but yeah just running running jet boats with with two guests and, and then you get back to the lodge and uh then you fillet their fish put it in boxes and uh and there's like a little cocktail hour every night you go and socialize and uh make a plan for the next day you know but and that's just kind of on repeat uh week in week out so what uh what were some of the highlights for you i mean obviously going away and doing that i mean i know you enjoy fishing and being in that setting was probably pretty awesome but was there any specific highlights that you really enjoyed in that time up there the the fishing was was phenomenal i I loved every second of that uh but my favorite part was just the camaraderie and the whole crew up there just amazing amazing people to work with it's i've worked in environments where you're kind of like a seasonal crew before and um sometimes you get like one bad little one bad you know person in there and it throws off the whole thing and 
just kind of makes it drag on everybody. But this this crew was unbelievable, so awesome. And uh, that just makes it easier for everybody. You make friends for a lifetime and just was treated so well by by everybody there. That, that's what was the biggest takeaway for me is you can't ask for more than that. No matter how good the fishing is or anything, it's what the crew that makes it so it was good. Now, did you make any connections for future trips for yourself, whether that be hunting or fishing? Uh, I, I had some uh, guests offer me to uh, come to the like, ranches in Texas and, and, and uh, doe hunt and stuff. Uh, but other than that, pretty much everybody was from the South. Uh, I would hand out business cards and my contact information if they wanted to, if they were ever in Pennsylvania, but it's, everybody was Southern, it seems. So I don't know how many of them I'll, I'll get to see in Pennsylvania, but. Right, right. Well, that's pretty cool. I'm glad you got that experience, but now we're back to Pennsylvania and, you know, leading into this, this season, uh, preparation and, and everything else, the, you know, the heightening up for the season, um, I wouldn't mind stepping back a little bit and just letting you introduce yourself. Like, I'm, I'm kind of curious how you got started with your YouTube channel and guiding and everything else that you do that's, you know, all outdoors related. Right. Yeah, man. Um, so the – I've hunted and fished my whole life, and I – kind of what got me to, to, to pick up the camera was really – we were talking before you started recording about Leatherwood Outdoors. And, uh, this was like 2010 or something. I, I, you know, just, I was eight, seventh, eighth grade watching the Leatherwood guys and, uh, I'm doing Shane Reed, Ryan Toth doing the recurve hunting, which is what I've done my whole life. My dad got me into that. And I was like, I'm going to try filming and filmed on an iPod touch for like two or three years, edited on my iPod touch. Mm. And, I mean, just really not not good footage, and but it, it it was cool to me. I mean, I didn't care what the quality or anything was. It was just fun for me to film it and just put it out there. Could care less what happened to it, you know, or who watched. And uh, then it was like, all right, let's try to upgrade the camera. So I got like a two hundred dollar camera from Walmart and started filming on that, and and it just kind of just super super slow growth, uh, but it's 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 get getting somewhere i don't know but uh just kept keeping at it and uh got another nicer nicer camera a couple of years ago and then quality's just gotten better from there and, but it's, i've never put too much effort into it it's just something i like to do i i'm not doing it to to be famous or like make let like i'm the greatest hunter or i'm not trying to like shed that light on me i just film it cuz that's like my journal I just like filming it and watching it. And I love the, the com- camaraderie of hunting. Uh, like we talked before, um, you started recording about the, like the hunting camps in Pennsylvania and that, like, that camaraderie you get. I love that kind of feeling, but I, I'm always hunting alone, it, it seems, throughout archery. So, you know, it's definitely just geared. My YouTube channel is just like, although I'm alone, I can film it and still be able to share it and get that camaraderie aspect out of it uh, with with a, a people I know and people I don't know and I make new friends off it. We talk on the videos and Instagram and so it's it's cool that I can it's turned into like a community in a way. Certainly. Now 
the the name Hardway Outdoors. Tell me a little bit about how that name come up. Because when I when I think of Hardway Outdoors and the name, like there's got to be meaning behind that. Like I think about uh, my friend John Kolb, who has the the Suffering Outdoors channel. Uh, you know, he he's got meaning behind that that name, Suffering Outdoors. And I'm curious what yours is. Yeah, so I've hunted with a traditional bow my whole life, and uh, and fly fish. So it's to me that was like the the hard way to to do things was the traditional bow hunt and fly fish so that's how the name kind of came about um I, there's a actually another youtuber who who doesn't do it anymore his name is Justin Clee he he had a youtube channel uh it's called Outdoor Pride and uh me and him became friends through youtube when w- we both started at the same time in like 2011 and uh, I was like talking to him one day. I just like told him this name, Hardway Outdoors. And he's like, dude, that's like, that totally fits you. That, that works. So I ran with it. <laughs> nice, nice. It's like one of those things that like I grew up with a compound in hand. Like I shot, a, I've shot my fair share of recurves and long bows, but like the first bow that I ever picked up was like one of those old bear like the ones people would call a wheel bow, but it was like a you know twenty five pound little compound bow, and that was the first thing I ever picked up. And I used to shoot it with you know just the shelf and practice that and work my way up through. But I never really got used to shooting um, stick bows and stuff. And have you have you picked up a compound like at all in your life, or you've pretty much just been all the way stick bow your whole life? I, my dad owned some old compounds. He was a compound hunter until like the early nineties, I believe. Uh, and then he, so like those were like, we have like three or four compounds uh, at the house that, uh, are from that time frame, really old ones. Mm. Uh, I, I've, I shot them a couple of times and then, uh, I'll go to like bow shoots or a 3D course with my friends that shoot compound and, you know, you talk them into a little, talk them into it a little bit and they let me shoot it, uh, and, so I have shot a the, like the newer uh, today modern world compounds, but I've only owned recurves. My dad has a collection of eighty, probably up to eighty longbows, recurves, self bows, and that's just how I grew up. And I I love it. It's I have nothing against uh, whatever you want to do. I don't care how you hunt. It's just how I like doing it is with a recurve or a longbow, you know. Sure. And I've heard a lot of people say that exact same thing. Like, it's just one of those things that becomes ingrained in them. Like, you know, certain points in your life, you know, I think you're most impressionable. And for whatever reason, that's that's what's going to leave its lasting mark on you. And case in point would be traditional archery and such. I'm kind of curious, like, how do you... Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of different topics about shooting method and aiming and such. Like, do, do you shoot instinctively or do you use different aiming methods? Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so growing up, I've, I've always shot instinctive through until about uh, I'd say a year ago. Um, and then I started shooting more. It's called like gap shooting or, or aim it. You, it's more of an aim. Like I don't have sights. I kind of, you just reference off of the, the tip of your arrow at full draw. Mm-hmm. And that, that has really helped me tremendously because I battled target panic for a, a number of years. Um, just not be able to anchor up hit full draw at times, you know, physically you could, I could do it, but once you put a target in front of me and I knew how that arrow was going to fly, I just had, I really struggled. So me fo- 
kind of ditching the instinctive and going more to aiming has really forced me to focus on on full draw, anchoring up and, and aiming my shot. Um, so that I've now like uh, I've now switched to the aiming method. I guess is a I forget I don't know the good terminology <laughs> of it. Right, right. Well. And speaking of target panic, I mean, that's something that I, I feel like everybody has it to a certain degree. It's just a matter of how much have you done, you know, how well of a job have you done in suppressing the beast in, in a manner that you can control your shot. Like, I've listened uh, lately this year, I listened to different podcasts that Joel Turner's been on, Shot IQ, and his philosophy and the mental game behind shooting really opened my eyes to, like, things that it like in the back of my mind i understood but i didn't i never thought about it in that context and like when it came to like target panic i always tried to cure it with like some kind of mechanism like a mechanical means like i started shooting with my compound right i had an index finger and i was punching the heck out of that trigger and i couldn't break that so how did i break it well i learned to shoot like a hinge release back tension i shot that forever and i'll never forget like i was shooting it for so long and i was getting patient with it getting used to it and i thought i'm gonna go back to my index trigger and like it didn't take me long i was punching the trigger again and it was a mental blockade and it took so long to mentally train myself and i'm still learning new things to like mentally prepare myself under pressure um, but like I said, for the longest time, it was like mechanical means. So like you talked about switching your aiming, was was switching your aiming one of the things that really helped the most, like combat that, or were there other things that you were doing to try to help combat uh, target panic from a, an instinctive shooter's perspective? Because in my mind, like the way I think about beat breaking target panic, like I've got so many, I can't, I keep thinking of the same word, like mechanisms or let off or release aids or things that help that but with with shooting with your fingers and you know a, a stick bow and stuff like to me that always seemed even harder and like more amplified so i'm just curious like the approach yeah so first of all it's motivation <laughs> i mean last last year i missed three bucks with my with my longbow and that was you know going into that season that was the best i've ever shot in my life um, and that, and I missed three bucks. So, and then, so that was just the biggest kick to me to, all right, you got to buckle down and, and, and figure this out before next fall. And, uh, my good friend, Chris Tanzos, like really helped me with it. He's like this, you're the, you're a good hunter. Uh, but you, you can only do so much scouting. It doesn't matter how much you scout and put deer in front of you. You need to get your shot dialed in, you know, and, I understand that for, for sure. I've always practiced and I wouldn't walk in the field if I wasn't confident with my bow. Uh, but it was just kind of that extra push to really dial in my craft, I guess. And, uh, I mailed a, mailed a bow up to Alaska and I shot that. I shot like every day, like two or three times a day up there as much as I possibly could. And, uh, just constant repetition, building up more strength just get it holding it holding my uh holding it at full draw for as long as i possibly could and letting down slowly and just building up a lot more strength and that that really helped i dropped the the weight of my bow down from 55 to 45 and now built that strength up now i'm shooting 55 again and just totally got getting all of it and anchoring up and everything um but it 
once I overcame uh, just kind of the, I don't want to say like weakness of drawing the bow, once I just built up more muscle mass, I, that's what was kind of like the, the, the barrier I, that I broke through. And then it just became fi- figuring out each bow that I've shot, like where, where do I have to aim at 15 or 10 or 20 yards? Where do I need that to be? And it was, if I just do the same thing every time, hit full draw, it's, I just need to figure out where this bow is shooting now and we're good to go, you know? Yeah. The, uh, you know, talk about the hard way for sure. Like I'm thinking about the, the different weapons we have available to us when it comes to archery hunting. Um, I know people this year who literally sighted their crossbow in a day or two before the season, the broadhead shot good. Okay. I'm ready to go. And they went hunting. And like me, that baffles me because I spend so many, like, you know, weeks, usually sometimes even months preparing, you know, with making sure that my, my compounds tuned the way it needs to be and tuning my arrows and my broadheads and everything else and, and practicing. But I can be honest with you. I usually don't shoot every day. Um, and I can still get away with shooting very good 30, 40 yards, you know, have high confidence that I'm going to put, put a killing shot on. And then you go into something like what you're doing. Like, it's just, it's just, everything's amplified. I mean, you're, you're talking about a condensed range. You're talking about, you know, missing out on your muscle memory by a day or two can be majorly impactful. Right. Yeah. One, I know like once we started uh, getting into a little more guiding and, and, and through August, I, I was shooting less. Uh, so it was, and then getting home in, in September, a couple of weeks ago, it was like getting just back into it. It didn't take me long, but I could definitely tell that little hiatus of not shooting, uh, did not help, <laughs> but yeah, so it's just doing it every, every day. I shot every day this week. Um, gonna shoot tomorrow and the next day and uh just i'll shoot under the 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 house lights all season this year and just keep it all fresh and dialed in you know i I always try to take i always bring a target with me and i throw it like in the parking lot or wherever i'm hunting and fling a couple arrows before i even go out in the field too Mm -hmm. just so my first shot first shot of the day isn't at a deer (laughs) right if you're looking to simplify your food plot system while enhancing the quality of your soil you need to check out Vitalize Seed Company. Vitalize provides top quality seed blends designed to fit into their 1-2 planting system. This system has been designed to allow highly diverse plant species to grow synergistically, optimizing nutrient uptake and cycling the way God intended. Reduce your inputs, build your soil, and maximize the quality tonnage for the wildlife in your area. Find out more about this system and get your seed at vitalizedseed.com and be sure to check them out on Instagram and Facebook. Radix Hunting was founded on premium grade trail cameras and continues striving to produce the best cellular and conventional trail cameras on the market today. The Gen 600 is a second generation camera from the Gen series line. 
with premium video and audio recording capabilities, this product has become well respected as the HD video trail camera. In addition to the Gen Series cameras, their M-Core cellular camera has all the features of a quality cell camera at an affordable price. Along with their cameras, they offer stick and pick trail camera accessories to allow you to set your cameras just right. You can find it all at RadixHunting.com and be sure to follow Radix Hunting on Instagram and Facebook. Want to check out Radix cameras in person? Stop in at Little Mountain Outfitters in Richland, Pennsylvania and have a peek. Now, back to the show. That's a good thing yeah. to do, and I think a lot of us should be able to do that because it's a good thing to it's a good thing to work on again, building that muscle memory. So shifting gears a little bit and leading into the season, you know, as we're recording this, we're leading right up to the beginning of season. But as as people are listening to this, we're going to be in season, and I'm curious, like the way your year looked out leading up to hunting season. Walk me through your planning and preparation to how you're going to focus on your season. Uh, I mean, for, first of all, you knew you were going to be gone two months, which meant you weren't going to be doing any scouting. The scouting you were going to be doing was was through the cameras that you put out. So tell me your mindset of the cameras you placed out and how are you using that information for your season? Um, are you looking at certain windows throughout the season? You know, what's, what's your hunting schedule going to be like, that sort of thing? Right, yeah, so uh, these – I'm mostly focused on these like three areas um, and, and they're large areas, but I'll just, we'll call them A, B and C, I guess. And the, this will be my second year hunting A and B. Uh, C is, is kind of a new one, I guess. I hang, I hung cameras in it last year and had really good results. So now it's on the radio radar. Um, so it's really, uh, I'm going off of, old camera data that's that's huge to me and relating it to to weather and wind and everything i'll look look up the wind and everything and and the past weather data of that day when i got a specific picture of a deer and everything so that's more more kind of uh the bulk of my thought process going into the season is like what areas were kind of happening on a certain time frame and weather i guess and then uh my cameras i put out uh, this year is just kind of gauging what what bucks made it because if I see a familiar face and can kind of figure out what he was doing last year, uh, he, you know maybe there's a chance of doing the same thing this year. So that's kind of like the what I'm going for with with placing my cameras in the summer and maybe seeing who who else is around. It's uh, so, um, but other than that, uh, yeah. So like. Uh, opening day uh i uh, so spot c that i mentioned that i did not hunt last year but i had a camera in there for some reason uh at the end of september and first week of october this one i hung it over just a scrape that i found um and this location was littered with these giant bucks in daylight and i have no no clue why i mean it was just a typical typical weather you 50 to 70 degrees just typical wet just typical early october late november weather nothing no weather or anything it was my only camera that really did good that time frame um so i'm just gonna kind of i haven't been in there yet i have i put a camera in there before i left but i'm just gonna go right in there and hunt that all day uh opening day and just because there was enough mature bucks using that 
there there might be a chance uh, they could be doing the, on the same program this year. So I'm going to just go in there and, and find out. <laughs> Talking about hunting all day, that's not something you hear a lot of people talk about in the early season. Talk a little bit more about that. What's making you feel that hunting it all day is worth your time investing it? Yeah, so the the camera – the camera data and my own personal data of me hunting and past camera data of any time of year, you have no, there's really no telling when a buck is going to walk by. Uh, yeah, sunlight, sunrise and, and sunset, you, you see deer movement more, but I get so many pictures of big bucks at like nine, 10 noon, one, two PM. It's, you have, you really don't have an idea. Uh, so it's, I'm just going to put all my time in unless the wind wind switches and I don't like the wind for some reason. Um, and then I'll, I'll, I would bounce out of there. But, uh, the plan is to just sit it the whole way through the day, ju- just because you, you really never know when something's going to happen. Well, the, uh, the wind topic too, and that's, that's what I struggle with. I mean, I've heard so many different philosophies on, on the wind. I mean, I, I, pay attention to the wind a lot i'm always trying to think of what's going to be my best my best option but are the places you're hunting or do you have an array of wind opportunity for you to access in and out of a location like that or is there anything that stands out as this place is saying maybe they were they were using this in daylight so much because there was such a wind advantage for them like i'm, I'm thinking like what's what's going to keep you from having to deviate from opening day plans of you know wind direction so to speak right yeah i mean uh i have i'm always constantly paying attention to the wind the wind forecast and 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 everything and trying to gauge you know what there's there i have a bunch of spots i can hunt on a certain wind and spots that work on a couple different winds and spots where you need like that one specific type you know um but like for this specific spot i'm talking about it's just like a a really really good pinch point where the the deer have to walk through if they're coming through they have to walk through this scrape and uh if my wind is blowing in that travel whether either if they're going from point a to point b or point b to point a uh if my wind crosses that in any way i'm gonna have to to get out of there um so it will i mean i it's not set in stone that i'm gonna hunt it it's just i ideally i would like to hunt it but if there's a the wind for the tree i have picked out isn't gonna pan out then i gotta i'm gonna bounce to plan b or something so it's all situational. It's all a huge guessing game. Any, you can know as much as you want about whitetails, but at, you're never at the biggest advantage. You know, it's, it's the cards are always in their favor. So you're playing chess and, uh, typically you lose. It's Certainly. just a huge guessing game. So it's, it's a big guessing game. Oh, it definitely is. And it's a big guessing game that we like to overthink all the time. Um, and you know, that, that's one, one of the things I've learned in doing a podcast and getting people's philosophies and coming up with these ideas. Like it makes me overthink everything I do. Like there's so many times where I need to step back and be like, Mitchell, you know how to hunt, you know what you need to do. Just go do it and stop, stop questioning yourself. Go with your gut in it. 
But uh, one thing I was wondering, too, so you talked about this opening day spot in the early part of the season. This spot C was really, really good. So is, you know, with that information in mind, let's keep all things considered. Does that mean you'll be fairly aggressive in how you approach that the first few days in season? And And to tailor that, question you'd said about you had a tree picked out do you have multiple trees picked out that you can does this set up in a way that you can hunt um maybe cheat a couple wins and just bounce from one tree to the next within 20 30 yards to try to cheat the wind a little bit and will you be fairly aggressive or is this one of those things where you're going to hold back and wait until you get the perfect wind in that first 10 days and throw a sit at it no, I'm just going to be totally aggressive with it. I do have probably three trees there uh, that are huntable. Um, uh, and then I could do two different, a couple different winds with those. So if I climb the one tree and the wind switches, uh, if it's in the favor of the other trees, I will then climb them and ride the rest of the day out. Um, and what was, what else were you asking? Yeah, I was just kind of wondering how you would you would approach that from the uh, the like if you'd be aggressive the first day and and bounce around from tree to tree and be the winner. If you would just wait back until you got what you'd consider the perfect wind in the first few days and then hunt. And I don't know what your hunting schedule's like that first week. Right. Yes, I'm just I'm gonna go just super aggressive and get right in there. Uh, ideally, just go right at it and. Uh, and, and, and hope for the best. I, uh, I do have a trail camera in there and I'll be able to pull that card and, and see what's kind of going on, uh, recently and then make kind of make a decision if I want to hunt that again, maybe on Monday or something. Um, but I really don't have much time that, that next Friday. So that is we're, we're going out west to hunt mule deer for like 10 days. So, uh, I'll be like out of Pennsylvania. <laughs> Um, for the better part of October. Gotcha. And You'll then, be uh, returning when? Uh, probably the 20 something, 20 something of October. It, so like when it's starting to get a lot better in the, mm. in the deer woods. That's like my, my favorite time frame is mid to late October. Um, and, uh, and then I, I also drew a Kansas deer tag this year too. So I'm trying to work that into the rut, uh, so t- the past couple of years, I've been really picky in Pennsylvania in bow season. Um, but I don't know how, if I, one gets me fired up pretty good and he's, he's, he's a good looking buck, you know, I, I probably won't hold back this year. So, so I can spend some time in, in Kansas. Nice. So walk me through. So let's, let's go with this philosophy. Let's just say you go with this, uh, this process at spot C, this opening week strategy, and for whatever reason, it just doesn't pan out for whatever reason. It, you just didn't see the deer you happened or the, the, the wind screwed you or something along those lines, and we're going to be going out west, uh, doing a western hunt and coming back. Walk me into your mentality leading into that next phase of the season. You're going to be approaching that that you know last third of October when you'll be here. You you'd mentioned that you're uh, – you know, you already—that's your favorite time to be be in the deer woods. You know, I can relate to that. So, walk me through your 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 spots and your approach leading into that part of the year. Right. So that's uh, kind of—it's getting to be more of the rut time frame. It's still late October, but you're still going to see 
bucks checking checking and working scrapes more and, and scent checking does so i kind of considered as i turned into a doe hunter even though I, i'm not gonna target a doe the the bucks are starting to turn into doe hunters too so if you're both hunting does you're gonna you're more inclined to run into a, a buck you know um so that's kind of how my gears kind of switch as october goes on is finding where the does are where they're bedding where they're feeding and uh find it hopefully finding some scrapes around around that and then hunting the downwind side of those scrapes um that's 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 kind of the 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 what goes through my head and then as you get into november i'm hunting more more funneled areas i mean i since i'm using a attritional bow i have to have deer close so i'm always i'm always focused on some sort of pinch point that's like the number one factor i need every inch i can get and yard i can get on a, on a deer to be closer to my tree so uh once the bucks really start kicking in and moving more in the daylight uh just finding paths of least least resistance and and where they feel comfortable to travel downwind to doe bedding areas uh leeward sides of the ridges you know possibly where a, a ditch meets the the ridge in a way that really seems to funnel bucks down and so I'm, I'm always focused on those pinch points that's my best friend in the in the bigger woods <laughs> well, talking about uh talk about doe groups and hunting doe the areas that you're hunting a b and c do you have a pretty good handle from a historic basis of where doe groups like to congregate or how are you finding those doe groups in order to then lead you to, you know, something following behind them? Yeah. So it's mostly a, a lot of walking, uh, kick up does and then you walk it again, you kick up does or something in the same spot. It's like, all right, that's, that's two times, three times now I've kicked up those there. Uh, that's now on my radar that if I know that I can go in here and see does almost every time a buck also knows that. So that, that's kind of the mindset that I have is either where I'm, if I'm shed hunting in the sprint in the early spring or, or hanging trail cameras, anytime I'm out in the woods, I'm always trying to hone in on where does are. I'm always putting a pin down if I see a group of does. Um, and that's how I've had a lot of, in the last year that's how i had a great success is figuring out where the does were and uh then the, the bucks came with that so once end of october and november rolled around so am i following you correctly that like in the in this big wood setting that you're hunting are you finding that on a on a yearly basis from shed hunting season to turkey hunting season or whatever, you're still finding some consistency in the areas that are holding those doe groups, or do you see that fluctuate throughout the season? Uh, it, it definitely fluctuates from now until November um, just because of the, the leaves on the trees. Once you lose those leaves, they definitely get sucked into to a little bit thicker areas, you know, uh, grapevines, clear cuts, uh, stuff like that. So it's knowing where those areas are that are still thicker, um, even with no leaf cover, those, those are the main focus for me. That's where I find a, a lot of doe bedding mm. and, and the buck, a buck, the, a mature buck, they, they're always in, in some sort of cover anyway. They, they don't like to come out in the open often. So it's, it, it, it works both ways. You know, you're going to, 
be in some doe bedding and deer bedding in general uh, on any sort of edge or, or, or thicker cover with, with no leaves um, and then running the bucks that way. So, Oh, certainly, certainly. So what do you think is going to be your goal this year? I know you had said earlier that you think that, you know, any buck that gets you excited is going to go, but I mean, what, what exactly do you, do you envision that? Or do you have any specific goals or um, objectives that you'd like to accomplish out the season? I mean, I think we all set them to some degree. Uh, I'm kind of curious how, what your mentality is going into this PA season. Uh, man, just, just to take in and, and learn as much as I possibly can. That that's always always been my goal. And, and tr- being a traditional archer, that it helps me. You know that since I'm at a more of a disadvantage, I, I don't get as many as many deer as other archers, archery archery hunters. Um, so it forces me to to learn more. Um, and that's another aspect of traditional archery that I love. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank. I get tr- I get a <laughs> oh, you're like me. You get you uh, you start thinking about something, and then you go, "Did I leave the stove on?" Yeah, and I do it all <laughs> do it all the time. So, yeah. you know, you were talking oh, about yeah, my go ahead. My goals, my goals, my goals for the season. Yeah. yeah so I I, uh, I haven't got a deer with my bow since I think 2019, and uh, I got two doe tags. So it's, I would the first week of the season uh all all of next week uh i'm you know i'm gonna try for a doe mostly just to just kind of get that back into me you know shooting an arrow at a deer and 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 we where i'm currently at it's it's just littered absolutely littered with does it's seriously a problem Mm -hmm. um there's so many vehicle collisions uh, it makes hunting the rut very difficult because there is so so many does. Every buck has a doe. They don't have to cruise around. So it's it's making a very tough atmosphere to 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 bow hunt in. Having so many does, and you think big woods in Pennsylvania, it's like there's no more deer. Uh, there's where where I'm at is they're like raccoons. <laughs> mm. it, it's insane. It is absolutely insane how many does are here um and it i don't I, to me it's not uh, uh all of them look very healthy it's, it's a very healthy herd they have ton, plenty of food to to have that size of a herd um but like i mentioned the vehicle collisions and then uh risking uh, disease and stuff you know so I, it, it's uh i'd like to take a, a doe or two out and just kind of balance it out just kind of do my part of helping the ecosystem to I've I've passed up does for a, a long time in archery, mm. and uh, so it yeah, I don't know if that it, was it that, can't, it's not just me you know that why there's so many does but right well, was that was that because you were holding out for a buck at all times or right yeah it was just uh, I always tried to save a doe tags for flintlock season and it didn't bother me to to eat them or whatever it's I I was always kind of one that complained about there's no deer and I've all, so it's, uh, uh, now it's, I've, now that I'm starting to hunt this, the newer spots, just this one in specific is un, unbelievable how many deer there are. I know last year in rifle season, I hunted, I hunted this one area for, I think 10 days and I saw 160 does, probably a lot of repeats. 
Um, but there's there's very few places in Pennsylvania and on public ground you're gonna have numbers like that. Like I was, it would what I would see sixteen to twenty five does a day in in rifle season in the daylight walking around. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It, it was it it made a that was a really tough uh, archery hunting in there during the rut. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I wouldn't have expected that. That's not something I'm used to. I mean, I think about all the different uh, big woods pieces of land that I hunt in northern Pennsylvania, and I can't relate to that at all. And I, I've actually heard very, very few people talk about that. It, it like reminds me of, you know, hearing stories of, you know, the the eight the whenever the big the boom was in the '90s or whatever, when there was such ample deer populations in in certain parts of the big woods. Right. It, it's, uh, it's unbelievable because there, there's so many hunting camps. There's so many people that do deer drives and rifle season. It, and another thing to mention in that area that I saw 160 does and rifle there at, I counted 12 deer drives that week in that, in that area. Every one of them, there was shooting going on. And, but it, there's no shortage of, of deer drives or hunters or hunting camps or anything. I don't know how this deer population is so good right here. Hmm. Um, but it, it is, it, they are thriving. It's, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. Talking about doing things the hard way you, you brought up flintlock hunting and I know you enjoy that. I enjoy that. It's a, it's a fun time of the year to be doing that. Um, is that another one of those things where it's just, it's a little bit, uh, again, it's the hard way. There's an allure to that. I mean, do you enjoy that almost as much as archery hunting? I archery is my my favorite thing. It, it but it's it's right there with it. Hunting with a flintlock, it is it is a a blast. I've got one deer with it out of fourteen times pulling the trigger over my hunting career. <laughs> it's just uh, it's a fun way to hunt. It it. It's just that primitive aspect, you know. I I also hunt with a rifle. I'm not opposed to hunt with a rifle. I do it a lot, and but it it's uh, hunt with a flintlock and being able to hunt three weeks of it in Pennsylvania. It's we're very fortunate. Uh, so it's a cool way to kind of have a little edge on the deer, but not really <laughs> compared to a bow. Yeah, well, in theory you're supposed to, but it, it's one of those that a lot of people can really struggle with to to. Uh fine-tuned and be proficient with what's been one of your biggest uh biggest hurdles in in flintlock hunting just not putting a lot of powder in the pan <laughs> oh just a, just a little bit a little bit of powder because i always put when i was younger i put a lot in there and flinched really bad you know just because there's big flash and delay and everything but uh i i got my first year with a flintlock last year i was putting a drive on to my two buddies and had a it was, ended up being a shed buck. It was just a young shed buck, um, but I, I got him. It was like a 50-yard shot. I couldn't believe it. It was, all, it was a really cool experience to get the first one with a flintlock. Yeah, I've uh, I've been real fortunate to get a couple with the flintlock. It's it's a really fun uh, fun thing, but it's always fun again going back to the camp camaraderie thing. I always feel like flintlock season was another time to reconvene and join with the gang, maybe make a couple pushes or hunt at camp and hunt on your own, but then get together at lunchtime or or something like that. And that's probably one of the things I've enjoyed about the late season as much as any because Again, you kind of take that pressure off yourself a little bit from archery hunting because you're so driven to shoot a buck, and it's it's a it's a solo game like we were talking. 
Right. Yeah, the the Flintlock it, it brings that that camp atmosphere, and uh, it's a lot more re- relaxed way to hunt. You know, come back and enjoy some lunch and and whatnot, and get get the get the guys together for some Flintlock hunting, and it's just good fun. You know, if if you get one or you don't, it it's just a the, a blast. For sure. For sure. Well, hey, we've been uh, we've been rolling here for a little while. I'll be mindful of your time, but uh, I am kind of curious though. Um, is there anything else uh, pressing on on your list for the fall outside of the deer hunting? I know you said you're going out west mule deer hunting too. Tell me a little bit about that before we let you go. Yeah, so I've uh, this is my third year hunting mule deer out there. I've been fortunate to take two bucks the last two years, and um, taking some of my buddies out there this year. Uh, two of that we're there's four of us going, and it, two two of them it's their first time uh, hunting mule deer, and uh, the one he's never been west of Ohio, my buddy Nate. So it's uh it's gonna be really cool just to see his eyes light up when we drive out there and we see you see the mountains and everything. Um, but it's uh we're hunting a new a new unit that I've never never even been in, uh so it's just that's gonna be a a, a learning experience, you know, but it's it's all the same kind of habitat and just the same thing kind of look for with mule deer hunting and uh, just excited to go out. It's one of my favorite, favorite things. It's become one of my favorite things to do. Um, it's, it's just a different, different style. It's just a whole different ball game. You can't even really compare it to whitetails. It's just something different. I, I, I'm hooked on it. I'll do it every, every year of my life until my legs give out. It's so fun. <laughs> Mm, mm, that's fun and uh from the video and standpoint going to be trying to bring as much of that content out as possible on the hard way outdoors channel i'm assuming absolutely yeah it's uh i've been on a little kind of break i I put up one video a couple like a month or two ago in alaska fishing up there and then uh just been busy with with guiding and now i'm finally home so videos are going to start rolling out here from pennsylvania and out west and in kansas and everything so it's and getting back into the groove, best time of the year. Yeah, how often do you try to put a, a video out throughout a hunting season, or do you just put it out when you feel like you've got something that's relevant to put out? I I like to, you know, it could be one hunt, and I put the I put a video out of that one day in the woods, and it could be a compilation of a couple days. Uh, I like to put out as many as I can. It's kind of just create that storyline for people that it it fills everybody in, so it's just not like. Oh, I got a buck or whatever. It's just not, it, oh, here's this video of me getting a buck. I, I, I really enjoyed putting out a whole storyline. So I'm not just throwing footage out and it's all just super educational. I try to make them educational and talk everybody through my process of why I do things and my successes and failures. Um, so it's, I like putting them out as, as frequent as I can just to give that storyline to the viewer and it, it's, it's created a really cool way to do it for me. That's really enjoyable. Mm. Yeah, I, I tell you what, I've I tried filming my hunts, and I I actually have filmed a couple hunts. I filmed myself shoot some deer and and stuff like that. But it was one of those things where like filming the deer come in and you shoot it is one thing, but filming it that it's like something that's a really enjoyable product to watch from the beginning of the hunt to the end. Like it just takes so much work and it's something I couldn't ever get into. And I was like, I'd cursed the camera for the longest time. I used to have one of those. I don't, I don't know if you ever saw these. Do you ever remember, uh, muddy used to make those 
little camera brackets where there was a clamp that you could clamp it onto like a bow hanger or like a tree stand thing. Um, it, it was very small, compact, but then it yep, had a, yep. a, a mobile, uh, a fluid camera head on the top. Uh, yep. I used to have one of those and I thought, well, that's a perfect opportunity to just put my little handy cam on it. I'm just going to film some deer and do that. And I broke it. And ever since then, I've never, I've, I've always like, I'm not going to spend the money for a camera arm just because I don't like doing this. And I actually got the brilliant idea this year. I took a tripod fluid head and I cut it off while well, I unscrewed the uh, the tripod piece, and I took a Dremel tool and I, I cut uh, I cut a slot in it that it could slip over you know one of those screw in bow hangers, and then I just clamped it onto that, and it has a fluid head. So I'm gonna be back to using it this year and just seeing now well, maybe I'll I'll get something on just for myself. Right. Yeah. It, it's fun. I've I've really enjoyed filming. It's uh, it's it brought me to to and doing YouTube has brought me to meet some of my best friends. Um, the reason why I'm hunting Kansas is because of somebody I met one of my now great friends I've met through YouTube. It's, it's like, it's been a really, really cool thing to look back on and like, wow, I met all these, these people through it. You know, that's the, the biggest positive I've got out of it. It's just, it's really cool. And to have people just like reach out and comment or message me like, Hey, you helped me with this or something. It's like, well, I can't believe I helped you, but I'm glad I did. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's been really, really cool to film hunts for me over these years. Absolutely. It's a, it's a bank of memories that you can revisit at any time. And I think that's one special. Right. Yeah. I've used it as a journal. You know, I've never been much to write anything down. And, uh, so having the, the videos, I've literally kept it documented of every single hunt since I was like, 14 years old so i have a basically a hunting journal but it's videos good deal well hey anything you would like to leave us with before we let you go oh i mean if i'll do a little business plug here so i can help myself Please do. Make a living. <laughs> uh yeah so i'm a i own my own business here in pennsylvania i'm a fly fishing guide and or any just any kind of fishing you want to do or any trip you want to do i can help cater to that I'm based out of central Pennsylvania, mostly do wild trout, smallmouth, and uh, raft floats, walk wade trips, and uh, my, my books are, I'm doing a couple Sundays here this fall if anybody's interested in them, and uh, but mostly all through next spring and uh, into the summer a little bit. Uh, so if you want to get a hold of me for a guided, guided trip here in, in central Pennsylvania, uh, my email is Collins dc at hotmail.com uh, or my phone number is 814-592-6951 or you can get at me on uh, instagram as well at uh, hardway outdoors but uh other than that uh that's about all i got that's fantastic and i want to have you back on here this winter leading into uh, into fishing season when things are really starting to to gear up with trout waters and stuff because i think that'd be an awesome conversation to have with you right that's the whole other probably a dozen podcasts right there <laughs> i'll yeah. talk your ear off about fishing. <laughs> and that's yeah. what we love because i am not the fisherman and i would love somebody to take the lead on it and uh and leave us in a couple of those conversations so we'll connect we'll stay in touch and i look forward to having you again on the show i appreciate your time mitchell and thanks for this opportunity it's a, it's a pleasure man thank you you bet you best of luck this season thank you you too